Man. You see, you see, you see what it's like? See what it's like to have friends like that? Uh, man, you know, sometimes doing life together is not all it's cracked up to be, is it? You know, sometimes instead of, you know, being the wind in your sails, people just leave you dry. Uh, you know, like I think about like gangs and the mafia or rioters, you know, they do life together. They do life together, but they're not where I want to be. I don't want to be doing that. Uh, Doing life together doesn't always work out. I said it. I'm at church and I said it. Okay, doing life together doesn't always work out. I'm glad I got that off my chest. My meeting time is over. Here's my coin. Okay, here's, here's, here's what I mean by that, doing life together. Sometimes you hang around people and it's not so much the, the what, but it's the who. Who you hang out with matters. Um, I figured this out in high school, and uh, I figured out pretty quickly that depending on who you hang out with has what some psychologists call negative side effects to where things don't happen the way you think they ought to happen. And my life looked totally different depending on who I hung out with. You know, I was a chameleon for a while back in high school. I felt like I was two different people. Um, This is actually real. Back in high school, I didn't go to church until I was later, teenager, but I really felt like I was two different people depending on whether I was at church. You know, at church I was quiet. It's not like I was the guy like throwing the flags and waving my hands and, you know, praise Jesus. But I was, I was pretty calm. You know, I was at church and I was listening and I, I paid attention. Uh, but then when I was out on the streets, I was known a little bit differently. I wasn't necessarily raising my hand praying and, and you know, praising Jesus. So... I know what it's like to feel like two different people based on who I hang out with. And the who really does most often, the who determines the what. We need to do something more than just do life together. There has to be something more than just being together. We've got to get better together. We've got to get better together. It can't just simply be hanging out with one another. So... We're in this series called, called Habits, and uh, the first week, Jeremy did a great job. He gave us this formula, very easy to understand. You know, habits are what drive us. Uh, they're, the, they're the repeatable things that happen in our life that really make up who we are, you know, the things that we continue to do. And Jeremy did a great job. He gave us this formula, and basically he says that success is doing the right things over and over despite how you feel. Just keep doing the right things over and over. And then Jeremy, or Greg, preached on one of the most important right things that Jeremy was talking about. Greg preached on this last week. One of the most important right things that you can do over and over in your life, regardless of how you feel, is you need to get under the knife. You know, get under the knife. And he's talking about God's knife. You know, God's story, God's instruction, God's wisdom, and AKA the Bible. Put your life under the care of God by submitting to him. Let his leadership and direction guide your life. Listen to the Bible. God God went through a lot to give us this great book to inspire us, to convict us, to challenge us, to tell us this is what's true. And so you've got to get under under the knife to change your life. And that was great. And this week, I really wanted to talk about this habit of getting better together. 
Because a lot of us, we might be willing, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get under the knife, I'm gonna do this, but we're alone. And we try to do it alone. And I hear story after story after story of people that come into Metro and they've been coming here for years and something happens and they leave and they just, they stay gone. They stay, they, they don't go anywhere else. They don't go to any other church. They're not, they're not thriving. They're not doing well because they weren't connected. They didn't have community. They didn't have somebody when they were gone, when you guys didn't show up, no one calls you and say, dude, Jack, where you at, dog? You're supposed to be at church. I didn't see you Saturday and I came Sunday. You weren't there, so don't lie to me. Where are you? How are you doing? We need people in our lives so that we can be protected, so that we're, we're not out on our own. So the real question is, if we need to develop this habit of getting better together, and it's more than just being with each other, because just being together doesn't cut it. You've got to get better together. How do we do that? How do we just not be together, but get better together? And does God offer us any practical help in living this out? So here's what I found out. God truly wants to help you and me. He loves you. And he wants you to know exactly how you're supposed to get better together. And he uses people to do that. So we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. It's the same letter that we looked at last week where Pastor Greg was preaching. And in this letter, we can find a lot of wisdom. And some of you guys may not be familiar with the book of Hebrews. It's not the easiest one I've ever read. Uh, you might not even be familiar with the, with the Bible, but don't let that stop you. Okay, if you're new here, if you're a guest with us, I'm so glad you're here. You don't have to have a background of the Bible to be able to hear from God tonight. If you're willing to hear from people that lived long, long ago, that are trying to share wisdom, you'll be able to learn tonight. And if you're willing to give God a chance, if you're willing to hear him out on what he wants for your life, you may find out that these habits are exactly what's missing in your life. You may find out that some of the turmoil and the stress and the frustration and the sadness and the loneliness and, and going to drugs and whatever else, all those feelings of, of trying to escape, that may be because you don't have these kind of habits in your life. So we're going to look at the book of Hebrews, and it's going to be sweet. I'm going to explain the passage after I read it, because it is a little Hebrewish, And so I'm going to explain it, so give me a chance don't just cut out on me before we're done. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. Here's verse 6. But Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. So simply he's saying, we've got to keep trusting in Jesus. We have to remain confident in our hope in him keep trusting God. Verse 7, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. Now, I know not everybody knows who Israel is. I know the current nation. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the same nation, but thousands of years ago. This guy's saying, hey, listen to what God has to say and don't do like those cats. And he points people out. He calls people out. And he's talking about the Israelites and what they did. So what is he talking about? When did they harden their hearts? Why is he using this people as an example? So he's referring to a real event in history. 
He's actually referring to a real story, and everybody and their mama and their grandmama and their grandmama's mama knew about this story. So everybody that's hearing this message, that's reading this letter being read out to all the people, they're all ears because they're thinking, dude, we don't want to do like them. We know that story. Did not work out for them. Did not work out for them. So remember when Greg mentioned Moses in the Ten Commandments last week? I'm just going to give a quick summary. And this is going to be quick, but you guys will be able to hang. So around 1500 BC, the Israelite people were slaves in Egypt. And they were in slavery under the Egyptian people and the Egyptian king, Pharaoh. And God sends a man named Moses to the king of Egypt, which is named Pharaoh, to tell him to let the Israelite people go. Now, Pharaoh wasn't jiving with that. He wasn't up to that. And he didn't want to let the people go. So God sent 10 plagues to convince Pharaoh Uh, you should listen to me and you should let my people go. And after the 10th plague, the Israelites leave and God performs another miracle by letting them cross an entire sea without getting wet or using a boat to escape the Egyptians. Moses remains their God-appointed leader and while they're in the desert, headed to the promised land or what this book of Hebrews calls God's rest, the people complain and disregard God and act like he'd no longer existed for 40 years. So these people hear, they see the 10 plagues. They're set free from 400 years of slavery. God performs the most miraculous things anybody's ever seen. They get to where they're almost going to be going, and they're like, I don't like this. God's not my favorite. I'm not really sure about Moses. I don't know, who, the, who is this guy? Why is he leading us here? And they just start complaining. Even though God rescued them from slavery, even though they saw everything with their own two, own two eyes, and while they were in a desert, and this is like a real desert, right? This isn't like just parts of Brownstown. I'm like, this is like desert, desert. This is like in the middle of nowhere, like little animals that don't need water but once every two years are dying. Like, this is the desert. God gives them manna, which is just food, with all your basic vitamins and nutrition. It just appears every morning. They just wake up and they're like, oh, there's food for everybody. God does this for them, and they're still like, you know what, though? I really miss that meat that we had back in Egypt. And they just start complaining and whining They still drifted away from God, even though they saw all of this. They still drifted away from God. And that's the warning. Together, they all drifted away from God, even though they saw the truth with their own eyes. And here's the big question that this writer wants all of the readers and the hearers of this passage to to perk their ears up to. How does that happen? How do you see all of that? You see it with your own two eyes, and you drift away from God. How do you drift away from God? What has to happen in your own life, maybe this week, this year, 2016? Did something happen that caused you to drift away from God? What would it take? So before we raise our pitchforks and say they're idiots and you know they should have totally believed God and everything that he was doing, Let's keep reading because the writer tries to connect them. He thinks that their story is our story, and that's what he's trying to say. So let's read verse 7. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. 
when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. So it's obvious why this writer is saying, hey, you guys, listen, don't harden your hearts like those guys did because you know what happened to them. Even though God was merciful and wonderful and great and he performed miracles and he did amazing things, they still drifted away from him. And God swore that they'd never end his rest and they didn't. Because they didn't trust God, they died out in the wilderness and missed what God had for them. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they, didn't, they weren't able to receive what God had for them. And you guys, my friends, my family, my church, my community, I just want to ask you, are you out in the desert right now, out in the wilderness, because your heart is turned away from God? What, drift, what caused you to drift away? What is, what is in your life that's causing, that's distracting you, keeping you from God? I know one thing that it could be, and he writes about this. This is what he says next. It could be the people that are in your life. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean that, and this is clear here, the who often determines the what. And if you're going to get better together and 2017 is going to be different and you're going to set a habit of who is in your life, tonight, this weekend, is really about you taking a close look at who is in your life. Who is around you? So they didn't do well. So I thought of this story, because it, it's my story. This past year, we enrolled my oldest son in swimming lessons, all right? It was kind of like one of those National Geographic episodes where you're not sure if the baby animal's going to live. But it was really exciting, right? He, he knows how to swim. Uh, he knows how to swim now, so he's fine. Uh, but we enrolled Samuel in swimming lessons, and in order to pass his class, he had to learn a few skills, and one of the skills was he had to jump off the side of the pool unassisted, totally unassisted. Easy, right? I mean, what kid can't jump off the side of a pool? Every kid loves jumping in water, right? You would imagine. Wrong. Not my son. Not Samuel. Samuel wasn't down with it. So I tried to practice with him, and he wasn't excited as I was, and this is what I had to do. I was standing in the pool, and I said, Samuel, you need to jump to me. Trust me. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to catch you. You're going to be fine. You're going to like it. Samuel, jump to me. You would have thought that I was asking a stranger to jump off the Mackinac Bridge. He pretended like it was a vat of acid, and there was no way that he was jumping in the pool with me. It's like, who are you, Dad? Yeah, right. You don't love me. It's like he forgot everything I've ever done for him, everything I've done to show him that he could trust me. All that went out the window because he was scared. And when he looked at the water and he'd done something that he's never done before, he thought, I'm not, I'm not doing it. He didn't trust me. So I'm standing in the pool, and after the 37th time of saying, Samuel, trust me. I'm right here. 
You can trust me. Jump in. I will catch you. And what did he do? He didn't jump. He didn't jump. Now, I don't cuss, okay? I don't cuss. But you know that angry feeling you get when your kids don't do something that you tell them to do because of irrational, ridiculous feelings like not trusting you? As if, as if he was going to jump in and I was going to be like, oh, water, you love this. Like I was going to drown him, right? So I didn't lose my cool. I stayed calm. I, what was I going to do? Was I going to jump out of the pool and throw him in and be like, see, I told you, you could trust me. You know, you can't do that. That doesn't build trust, not with children I hear. So I couldn't throw him in, but I wanted to. And it made me think of this. After all we've been through, six strong years of being a good dad almost for the most part, why couldn't he trust me? But you get what I'm saying. He, he didn't trust me and he didn't want to jump because he was scared. I was wanting him to do something that he wasn't comfortable with and never did. It made me think of this story. Now, eventually he did jump, not that day, but we prayed and we had a good quiet time later that night. We moved past that and I didn't spank him. Uh, but he did end up jumping, right, later on another day and he passed his class and he, he swims now. It's pretty cool. But it made me think of these people. It made me think of this story. What would have happened if he never trusted me? He would have never passed his class. He would have never learned how to swim. And he wouldn't be able to do some great things that he can do now. But because he trusted me, eventually, he was able to enjoy and know what it's like to trust a dad and say, I trust you. This is what you have for me. You have good things for me. You're not going to drown me. No, those are good things to feel. So let's read back to the, let's, let's get back to these folks. So verse 12, let's look back at Hebrews. So he tells them the story, don't be like them, they didn't trust God, and God was angry with them rightfully, and they didn't enter in God's rest. That's what happens when you don't trust God. It's sad, it's scary, but it's true. If you don't trust God, you are not going to be able to have the good that God wants for your life, period. There's no microwave way of getting your life right without trusting in God. And so he tells them the, the truth, he gives them as an example, and then verse 12, he says this, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. And you can kind of hear in this writer's voice, like it's almost like the intensity amps up, and he says, hey, now you be careful so that your own heart isn't evil and unbelieving and turning you away from the living God. And then verse 13, he says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. If you hear God speaking to your heart, I beg you, don't harden your heart. But he gives us a clue in how to do that. He says, warn each other. You know, do you get what this guy's saying? He's, he's telling them, the Israelites did life together. 
right? They had life group. They were intense in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years. They were plenty close. They cooked and ate and played together. They were together, but it didn't help them. They didn't help each other. Why? They lived in tents for 40 years. They were even called God's people, and yet they drifted away from God. Why? Because they didn't encourage each other to trust God. Within their doing life, they didn't warn each other to believe in God's promises. They didn't motivate one another. You know, I just, it's almost like you can see these people and you can see them yelling and grumbling and you just want to say, hey, I know you're out in the desert. I know it's hot. I know this is crazy. You have no home. I know it's difficult right now, but please don't stop trusting in God. God is not your enemy. I know it's, it's, it's hot out here and we're having to eat this manna every single day. No one likes to eat the same thing every day. But hey, keep trusting in God. Keep believing in his promises for you. Remember what he did? Remember how he pulled you out of slavery? Remember how he rescued our entire people from being beaten and enslaved? Remember when God rescued you and forgave you for all of your sins? and took you out of the slavery that was inside your own heart. You, brother and sister, don't stop trusting God. Keep believing in Jesus. Keep trusting him. No one was out in the wilderness except for Moses. He ended up complaining. He didn't go in the promised land. And you just, you just were wondering, who is going to be there to tell these people, keep trusting in God? You want to know why they couldn't do it? They did life together, and it didn't matter because they didn't encourage each other. They didn't get better together, they got worse. Because they didn't motivate one another to trust God. They didn't inspire one another, listen, you've gotta trust God. So that's all this habit is. That's all this thing, if you could build this habit in your life of getting better together, it looks like this, trust God. If you want to know how to do it, you've got to trust God yourself. And I know that's scary for some of you. I know some of you guys are so far away from, from what you think I might be talking about. And you think, dude, I, I have a trail of broken relationships behind me, smothered in broken trust. I wouldn't know the first thing about trusting God. There is, I, I don't have trust in my own family, in my own relationships. I don't know how to trust God. Can I just tell you that, that God may be speaking to you right now and telling you there is something in the inner core of who you are right now that's broken. There's a broken relationship. Something inside you is broken with God and you don't know how to trust God and I'm here to say it doesn't have to stay that way. There is freedom in God. There is a way of living and trusting in God that's different than the bondage and slavery that you might feel like you're in. If you're going to encourage one another to trust, to, to trust God, if you're going to build this habit of, of getting better together, you have got to trust God yourself. It's got to be real for you. So trust God. No matter how hard it is, no matter what it is, trust God. And if you feel like Man, I'm, I'm so jacked up, you know, not to use my name in vain, but I'm so jacked up, right? I've got, a, I've got, I've got luggages. I've got multiple suitcases of baggage. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. 
There is an amazing ministry, a group of people at our church that meet every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock called Renew. If you feel like, dude, I'm from Downriver and you don't know where I've been today, that you're lucky I'm even in church. If that's you and you're like, I don't even know where to start, man, maybe that might be your first best step. Maybe you need to check out Renew. They meet on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock here, here at Taylor, this campus. There is a group of people there that know what it's like to feel broken, to have that broken peace inside. And they meet every week to talk it out, to help other people know there is hope, right? That, that empty bottle is not the end of the road for you. You can find freedom. There is freedom in God, and we can help you get there. So if that's you, that may be your next step. God is patient. He wants you to trust him. And it's not just for people, like, right, everybody thinks Renew is, like, for addicts and, and, and people that have murdered, you know, assassins, right? That's what Renew is. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, my life has been changed at Renew. I've gone to Renew and drove home and, and cried half the time and was praying, thank you for letting me be there tonight. Thank you, thank you for letting me be in that share group. Thank you for allowing me to open up. Thanks for really speaking to my heart, talking to God, you know, like that. That's not just for addicts and, you know, but if, if addictions and divorce and depression and brokenness, whatever it is, it's for people with brokenness. It's for you too. And you can check that out. But you can trust God. God is patient with us. He loves you. I know it sounds far, but even for those of us that do trust God, do you know that God is like a good father? That right now, as you're hearing this message, is trying to tell you, son, daughter, trust me. I'm a good father. Jump to me. I will catch you. I will keep you above the water. I'm not going to let you drown. I will be there. And I can carry your baggage and weight and all the things you think that I can't handle. I can carry that. And God's trying to tell you to trust him with your life. Do you trust him with every area of your life? Do I trust him with every area of my life? Can you say, when it comes to my mind and my heart, my emotions, my relationships, my actions just this week, especially on Friday, do I trust God completely all the way? There's not a doubt in my heart, not a doubt in my mind. I trust God. First step in getting better together is you yourself have to trust God. The second step is you've got to point to God. This is where I think a lot of us, we just forget. This is the hard part, right? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you get real active. This is where life groups get to a point to where you wonder, is my life group even making a difference? The real question is, are you pointing each other to God? If I were to ask your spouse, hey, this past week, was, he or, were they, was, was she pointing you to God? Was she trying to encourage you to trust God? Was she lifting you up? Was he lifting you up? If I were to ask you what happens in your life group, if you go to life group, now listen, life groups are great at Metro. That's our systemized way to get you plugged in, to get a community. Are you encouraging one another to trust God? I want people to know that they can trust God, but the only people that will ever believe me are the people around me. My wife, my kids, my coworkers, my neighbors, my family, the people in my life group. 
Those people are the only ones that I'm going to be able to point toward God and why? Because they see my habits, right? Nobody knows my habits more than my wife, God bless her. Nobody knows. But my kids know. My kids know if I trust God. Every time my son doesn't jump in the pool, he knows if I'm trusting God or not. The people around you that are close to you know if you trust God. So do the people around you, are they pointed to God? Do you point them to God? Do you encourage them? Who has a strong influence in your life? And who are you influencing? Are they encouraging you to trust God? Are you pointing them back to God? If I were to look on your social media, would I think, dude, man, this guy trusts God. I need to get with him. I'm feeling down. I need to go hang out with him. I need to talk with him. I need to hear from him. If I were to be part of your conversations in your home, would I think, dude, man, this is a family. They trust God. Are you pointing people to God? It's not to judge you. I'm not trying to be hard on it. Hey, if you were to be in my house some days, you might think, I don't know, Pastor Jack, maybe you need to, maybe, maybe you need to you know, confess some things. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not innocent. There are times where I don't trust God, but who is in your life and are you pointing them to God? Are you influencing in that, in that direction? Now, I don't know if anybody's ever seen somebody make an ice sculpture. Has anybody ever seen that? It's kind of wild. You know why it's wild? Because they use a chainsaw. Have you ever seen someone do that? There's this big block of ice and then some rough dude with big gloves comes out and starts with a chainsaw. I'm like, that guy's not an artist. But then after you're like, how do you make that swan? Like, how do you do that with like a chainsaw? Have you ever seen that? They use a chainsaw and like picks, it's pretty cool. Or if, you, if you've ever seen anybody sharpen a sword, what do they sharpen a sword with? Other hard metal or like rocks or something, if you go on YouTube, you can see a ninja sharpen a sword with a rock. It's pretty cool. Uh, all of us know, what do people use to rough out, rough edge, or smooth out rough edges on wood? Sandpaper, right? Okay. What does God use in your life to shape and sharpen you? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. What does God use? He... He uses, other than the knife that Greg was talking about last week, which is one of the most important things, you know, God uses his word. You've, you've got to be led by his direction. But what else does God use to shape and sharpen you, to smooth out the rough edges in your life? He uses other people. If I were to ask you, who's the most, or what is the most influential things in your entire life? Even if I say what, I guarantee you're going to think of people. You're going to think of who. God uses people to shape people. You know, Proverbs, I think it's 27.10, or 27.17 says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. God uses people to sharpen people. You know, sometimes I wonder if Satan and demons are like, dude, you see that little girl? You see our victim that we've got down and depressed, cutting herself? Hey, don't let her get next to Becky, okay? Becky's a godly woman, and if that little girl gets around Becky, Becky's going to see her and notice that. And Becky's going to try to encourage her. And Becky's going to be a shoulder to cry on. And Becky's going to try to point her to God. Don't let that person get next to Becky because if Becky gets in that little girl's life, we have no hope of taking her down. I wonder if Satan and demons kind of work like that. If they know that people point each other to God, that God uses you to influence people. Who are you pointing to God? If you were to think right now and you had a moment to just think, 
Who in my life is God using me to point to God? Would it even be anybody? And I know it may not be your boss. You know, that's hard, those kind of relationships. Your supervisor, you're like, no, we don't have that kind of relationship. But think about who in your life is God using you to point them toward God? Are you getting better together because you're pointing people to God? Are you pointing your kids to God? Are you pointing each other? Are you in a life group? Listen, life groups is one of the best ways that we do community together. But I will say, and I love it, you can clap, it's great. I've been in a life group before that I felt this isn't working. So I tried another one, and it's working. Life groups work, but you have to work to make it work. You've got to show up more than three times a year. You can't meet a dozen times a year and think, dude, we're doing life together. We're sharpening one another. We know what's going on. No, you got to be in each other's lives. So be in a life group. And maybe you can't be in a life group. Maybe you're like one of these moms that's got like 17 kids and you wish you could pay a babysitter and get away from kids and enjoy life group. And that would just be amazing. And you feel like you can't do that. Or maybe you're introverted. You don't like hosting people. You don't like going to strangers' house. You, you hate people like me. You don't want to sit at a table with someone like me. You're introverted, okay? You've got to think about the direction of your life. Because God says, you've got to warn each other every single day while it's still called today so that you're not led astray by your own heart. You need each other. It's not just an option to get better together. You can only get better together. You have got to learn how to build a habit in your life of getting better together. Whether it's life groups or serving teams or however you figure it out, if you've got to have people over at your house or you come to Renew, they have share groups after, there's lots of different ways to group together and have community. But it's your issue to figure out and you've got to do it. If you want to build good habits in your life that are going to take you in the direction that God wants you to go, you've got to learn how to get better together. The only way to do that is if you're trusting God and if you're encouraging others to trust God, if you're pointing other people to God. And that's the big question. How am I doing this week? Am I trusting God? When I was reading this, I felt like, man... How many opportunities did I miss this week when I was too afraid to jump in because I was focused so much on what I thought could be that I was focused on God the Father who loves me, who if I would just trust him, I would know what it's like to really swim, to really thrive, to really live. And am I really pointing other people to God? Not just from the stage, but are people in my life, do they feel like, no, I'm encouraged. I want, I want to trust in God. Where is the direction of your life headed? And do you have a habit in your life of getting better together? Let's pray together. Father, I know that you want more for us. I know that you're trustworthy. I know that, I know that we can trust you. I pray that you would use our church in Downriver, Michigan to make a difference that people would see that there is something better. I pray that you would help us to get better together. I pray that you would help us grow with our life groups, with Renew. I pray that you would build our communities that people would know they can trust you. 
that broken lives would be turned upside down, that, that broken pieces would be turned to masterpieces and, and the world would see that there is hope in the name of Jesus and that you can restore and renew lives. I pray that you would do that. Do that in Metro City Church. Do that in us. Help us to get better together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. I love you guys. Don't forget, to my left, your right. If you need to pray with somebody, come pray with somebody. I'll be down here in just a minute.